Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Comics Corner. I am your host Connor, joined again by Harry. Hello! We're in the right chairs this time, don't worry, we will be back and doing a second part to Berserk in the coming months. But today, we've decided to do something equally as miserable and nihilistic, and that is... Old Man Logan Oof. by Mark Millar. Wow, it's so bad it even knocked down the stand for it. And we're also going to be talking about the much better adaptation, Logan, If that isn't a sign of things to come here. Yeah, well, so we've got some interesting opinions on this, because people really like Old Man Logan, or at least they say they like it, this and they think it's my, an important comic. Yeah, this has been my first time reading it, and it was a bit of a mixed experience for me, as we'll get into as we go along. Yes, and also, upon rewatching Logan, it was a mixed experience for me because I really enjoyed the reviewing, looking into the director's intentions for the film, quite surprising. So we might find out some things today that we didn't quite expect and view these texts through a brand new well, lens. I, for this, re-watched Logan for the, set, uh, for the first time last night. I watched it first when it came out in the cinema over six years ago at mm. this point, which is ridiculous. But I think it speaks to the quality of the film that when I was re-watching it last night, I was able to remember a lot of the plot points and a lot of the character beats going throughout it. Although I'm interested to what you mean when you say some of the intention of the director, because if the director intended for some kind of subversive narrative to be woven underneath it, I will say I certainly did not notice it. And if so, it either might be that it was even too subtle for me, or it might be that perhaps the director's intention was did not match with the eventual product that he created, perhaps. so Because sometimes people go in, I'm going to make this super subversive thing that's going to convince people of this subliminally, whereas what they actually come out with, the end product, doesn't match that intention. So, much like the M. Night Shyamalan East Rail trilogy that we covered in episode 5, I think Logan is a work of accidental genius despite the director's worst intentions. And so we will and get I did, into that I did shortly. notice a few things, though, as... Something that are oh, crossing borders. There was oh, all of the, the the group of children that they got to at the end are quite diverse and led by a Hispanic boy. Logan's daughter in that film is herself partially Hispanic. You're seeing some of the Mexican. threads form so I, already. No, I can see where all of the threads are forming. I just don't think it. Uh, unless you're going to convince me later on. I don't think they come together to form anything particularly concrete. It's just like a yep. bunch of things that James Mangold threw at a wall to see what stick and they all just slid off. Yeah, I agree. And uh, this is going to be a positive review of Logan because, again, the film, despite his malfeasance, decided to be excellent. I would personally put it within <laughs> my, my top 10 comic book movies. It's, it's not it, top It truly five. is an excellent comic book film. Although, if we get back onto the comic book... We're going to go first. Makes, with... It makes a lot of changes from the comic book to make sure that it, it is good. It really needed to, because yeah. I, would, I would like to say that people like to say that they like Old Man Logan, but they just sort of see it as important, and I don't think they really remember much of the stuff from it, because what happens in here is, at worst brutally nihilistic and disrespectful to continuity, and at best, boomer truth. Uh, well, I suppose there's certainly elements of it. I would say, you know, disrespect to continuity is one thing when it's in continuity. You could make the argument, well, this is out of continuity anyway, therefore you don't have to worry too much about continuity. I would say you still have to be at least somewhat true to the characters, or if you're going to make incredibly drastic changes to the characters have a better justification for why you've changed them so much than this does. For instance, just to jump ahead a little bit, Bruce Banner is the ultimate villain oh, yeah. of this comic book, and the only explanation they have for why he became 
an incestuous gang leader who goes around letting his incest, incest babies murder and eat innocent people was he makes a brief mention that some say that I might have got radiation poisoning that's affected my brain. But of course I had to sleep with my first cousin. Who else was going to keep up with them? And I felt like I was reading the fan fiction of an edgy, angsty 14-year-old boy. And given that this is written by Mark Miller, who pens such classics as Wanted, where the primary hero of the piece is a multiple felon and rapist, and Kick-Ass, a series which started off all right, but then progressively got more and more edgy and nihilistic as it went on. Also featuring rape. And a also- lot of it is one of his favourite plot devices, and we've just got off the back of covering Berserk, which does feature mm. a lot of that, but at least with Berserk you can contextualise it with it fits within the context of the world that is built and also is often used for genuinely pa- genuine pathos and narrative purpose and character purpose. This, it really does just come off like Mark Miller is trying to be edgy for the sake of it. Well, as we covered in our Kingdom Come discussion, Mark Miller was going to complete the DC trinity of defiling their heroes with the death of Superman, Nightfall breaking Batman's back, and his idea was the rape of Wonder Woman televised on Times Square. And he has since said, oh, it was just a joke, guys, but we did also have the artist draw up the first page. And so, right. (laughs) We were just really dedicated to the bit. Yeah, yeah. Mark Miller is... No, no, not great. And we'll get into some of his storytelling tropes as we dive into Old Man Logan. Feel free to flip through as we go through. You'll be seeing some of the panels on screen. So Old Man Logan takes place 50 years after all the superheroes were killed. So right from the off, we have a pretty big suspension of disbelief to buy into the existence of this world, considering that some of the superheroes involved are Omega-level mutants. The the explanation of how it happened is absolutely hilarious as well. Yeah, so we just kind of have to believe that all the supervillains decided to team up all at once and launch an all-out assault on on the heroes. In the Marvel Universe, they'd never thought to all team up before. Yeah, there's also a lot of incredibly powerful Marvel superheroes. And I'd like to say off from the bat, by the way, that my familiarity with Marvel is not nearly as deep as DC. I like things like The Punisher and Daredevil because they're a bit more grounded, but I wasn't necessarily raised on Marvel. I did... I did get bought some X-Men comics by my uncle, who was a big fan when I was younger. So I am aware that, for example, from the films and the comics, Professor Xavier could have stopped quite a few of those villains, including Logan at one point, alone. But we're not really given an explanation as to why he didn't. I mean, even in the film Logan, the extent of Charles's power is given far more credence than it is in this. They don't even mention how Charles died in this. We're just left to believe, I would assume, in the same instance that that traumatised Logan Mm. in the first place, that he just got caught up in that whole incident, which is very difficult to believe because Mm -hmm. I do believe that if Charles Xavier, who seems to have a good track of where all mutants are, or at least certainly his mutants are at all times, if he noticed them all start to get snuffed out one by one, it doesn't matter if it's Logan, he would probably do something about that. He could do the Cerebro pause and just freeze Logan in his tracks. He could do many things. I mean, of X-Men comics, the one that I'm most familiar with, because I have the omnibus and I've read it, is Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, which is, if I remember correctly, it's been about nine years since I read it, but I remember it being very good, and then falling apart a little bit at the end, but still, for the most part, being overall a very good experience. So, And I'm sad to say from the interview that's given at the back of this, it seems that Grant Morrison was one of the linchpin actors in making sure that Mark Miller has had as successful a comic book career as he has. Grant, 
You disappoint me. Um, so much, you disappoint me. We'll, we'll get onto that later, because I've got a pretty choice quote from Grant Morrison, who hates Mark Miller's guts. Oh, but They're really not friends. <laughs> he created his arch nemesis in classic comic book fashion. You were the chosen Quite, one! A little bit like Charles and Magneto, actually, thinking about it. Well, yeah, Charles For, and Jean Grey. Yeah, former friends, now bitter enemies. Yeah, and not Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Just let me dispel that myth straight from the off. Stan Lee said he never intended for that parallel, and also... Professor X isn't a communist, so he's not an MLK. It was parallel. also it was something more pushed by Chris Claremont. If you want more information on this, we'll probably link the video down below. You should check out Young Ripper 59's yes. videos on this, because he's really into his comic books. He knows a lot about the X-Men and Marvel, and he does an excellent breakdown of all of the things that are wrong with the interpretation of it was always supposed to be a civil rights myth. No, it was a blatant Doom Patrol ripoff. <laughs> And Stanley probably wouldn't have been too hesitant to admit that. And as much as I really like DC, it, it is better than the Doom Patrol. I'm just going to say it. I've, I've read all of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run, and it is very good. It's it's bloody weird. We'll cover there's some... A, there's a character called Danny who is literally a street. Yes. It's very strange, but it's good. Okay. Or at least I remember it being... We'll... A, once again, I read it nine years ago. Did you like Grant Morrison's Animal Man? I did like Grant okay, Morrison's Okay, we're going to have to cover Man. Grant Morrison's Animal Man at some point, so oh, I'll dispel I was, you of that I myth. was probably too young to notice all no, of the brainwashing the leftism pumped into my brain. Yeah, anyway, so let's let's jump straight into it. So the comic opens with Wolverine sort of staggering injured, going through a forest, and the captions explain that the heroes have lost, the villains have won, and very few people have survived. And you see him kneeling before an oncoming train and you presume that he's tried to kill himself. So we're starting off with a very bleak, nihilistic outlook right from the off. We're setting the tone here. Well, it's, it's a good hook. Yeah. It's a good hook to keep you reading because immediately you're thinking, okay, how did this happen? Mm. What What is it that led to this? Why would, why after all the, this, how has Wolverine failed to the point that he would try and kill himself mm. in this way and obviously fail yes. to do so? So, you know, it. it I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's nihilistic i would say it's it, it is a good hook for the narrative although i i will say this does become very nihilistic by the yes. end of it so then it cuts to logan riding on horseback through his home in sacramento california and he much like clint eastwood's protagonist in unforgiven which is a heavy inspiration for this lives on a also farm. much better than this and something you should watch yeah unforgiven and parallels to this and logan are quite interesting because unforgiven ends in a more nihilistic place than it started, whereas the actual film Logan, and even this to an extent, ends in a more hopeful place, because Unforgiven begins with Clint Eastwood's character, um, William, sort of crippled and down on himself and, and unwilling to engage in violence, and then by the end he becomes the villain in defeating the town's villain, whereas this, even the most miserable story possible, Logan redeems himself slightly at the end of this and definitely does at the end of the film. In this, in the most contrived way imaginable. Contrived, definitely. Purely yeah. so that you can go see kind of a happy ending, even though I would say, for all intents and purposes, for the, as we'll get on, for the reason that Logan set off in this, on mm. this journey in the first place, he utterly and completely failed. Yep. Which means that when the moment comes, my actual emotional investment in this just <laughs> fell off a cliff. Totally valid. So he's been unable to sell his pigs, he's been unable to make rent, which he's paying to the Hulk gang, and for anyone that asks, he denies having ever been a superhero because he carries a great shame with him that he allowed the villains to win. And 
The Hulk gang show up, they come to collect the rent that he can't make good on, and he refuses to pop his claws. He, he also has a family at this point. He's got a wife yes. and two children, a boy and a girl, who all seem to be aware of what it mm. is that they used to do, uh, he used to do, but they don't like to talk about it at the table. Yeah, and he refuses to defend himself when the Hulk gang show up in their weird Fantastic Four flymobile and decide to beat <laughs> the crap out of him and, and emasculate him in front it's, of the It's son. all very Mad, mad max this aspect mm. of it where there's you're in the fallen world where the relics of the superheroes have been appropriated by the villains and in some cases such as the fact that this is the Hulk gang they are all directly related to to the Hulk and Jennifer Walters here is just a complete redneck for some reason well that's not Jennifer I thought it was it seemed, no it isn't it, it seems to suggest the granddaughter it, but it seemed to suggest at the end, it's very confusing no, because it suggested at the end that it was directly Jennifer. That's not Jennifer. We'll put the name up in, in oh, editing. Oh, all right. But yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer is not actually in the comics. She's just alluded to as, spoiler alert, the mum of the Hulk's incest babies. Yeah, thanks, Mark Miller. Really appreciate that. So his son then aims a shotgun at the Hulks, who just laugh and leave because, of course, it's not going to hurt them. And they threaten Logan's family's life if the rent is late again. So Logan, as well, isn't really healing as fast as he used to for some reason. Now, that's not given a reason in this. It is in Logan the film, which I think is much better fleshed out. But because he's laid up in bed... Um, Hawkeye then comes to visit, and Hawkeye. This is all is blind. just in the first issue, by the way. So it really yeah. does throw a lot it's of hyper compressed very quickly. This is only eight issues long, and of that, uh, it's seven issues for the normal, and, the and then, then and then the giant. Size. Yeah, they had to finish it in the annual because the last issue had so many delays, and the annual is the one that we probably have the most problems with. Well, yeah, that's the problem for me is that the an annual seems to have been pretty much purely done to facilitate like, oh, now we get the badass revenge plot killing spree. And it's just yeah. it's very irritating. There is a brief moment where Logan fantasizes while he's being uh, talked down to by the Hulk gang right before they give him a beating to let him know what will happen if he doesn't mm. make the rent. Um, he fantasizes about killing them, but then it cuts back to reality and you see that he's still just being denigrated. He's got his eyes down, he's facing the ground, he's feeling ashamed at the fact that he can't do it, but he can't bring himself to do it. And it's heavily implied there's some form of trauma mm. that's caused that. And you think to yourself as the reader, well, there's got to be an element to this that isn't just failure. It's not just that I failed to stop the supervillains. It must be something deeper than that to make it so that he's so beaten down that he can't even bring himself to pop his claws and defend himself. Mm, yeah. And uh, I will say, as a result of that, a lot of this story seems to be purposefully built purely for the sake... And I understand you do this as a writer. If you try writing fiction, oftentimes you will come up with what you think are cool ideas and iconic moments, potentially iconic moments, in your mind, and then you try to structure a story to reach those moments, and the art of crafting a story is being able to make everything fit logically, piece together a world that facilitates those. This feels, honestly, by the end, very contrived, purely to get to that moment where Logan finally does pop the claws again, and you even get a big double-page spread of the classic sound effect, which is the only one that's even used in this, because often comic books obviously have the sound effects everywhere, only one is used, and it's a big double-page spread of the snicked 
yeah. the classic Wolverine sound effect when he pops the claws. This whole story is set up purely to facilitate that. Yeah, and, and the connect the lack of connected tissue between a lot of the villain cameos you get means that much of it feels like a trail of member berries. Yeah, Doctor Doom shows up for two panels just so that he can look over. Emma Frost shows up just for the sake of being Emma Frost in the Venom story. Venom and Anti-Venom show up she, randomly. Not, not, just, not only does Emma Frost show up just to show up, she saves them for no given reason. She just uh, she just shows up. It's like I saved you. Why did you save me? Ah, let me talk about something else. We'll get to that. Um, so back on track when Hawkeye shows up. Hawkeye is blind, and we're not exactly told how. Also and managed to survive the superhero holocaust, as they refer to it. Yeah. Somehow if we're you, never given a reason. If you also wanted a blind character, you could have just used Daredevil. And what happens to Daredevil in this is not. The most, even though it's, it's not the Daredevil, it's a guy dressed as Daredevil. Same with the Punisher. I thought it was Daredevil and Punisher, the originals. Uh, no, they seem to, in the same way that the girl that they're trying to save Hawkeye's daughter is dressed right. as Spider-Man. It's her friends that does make who are dressed up with the age of the characters. You're right. So Hawkeye shows up and lo offers Logan five hundred dollars to drive him to the East Coast to deliver a package within the next two weeks. And Logan, needing to make rent, he says goodbye to his family and decides to go and embark on the adventure with Hawkeye. But he says, I will never engage in violence, I will not pop my claws, and I am not Wolverine. So you're taking me as the driver and the navigator, even though Hawkeye ends up driving despite being blind, but I'm not going to be your bodyguard and I'm not going to fight anyone off. So just a reminder, because this is the emotional core of this story, or at least it should be, um, we've got a few threads going on. Why is it the Wolverine is traumatized from ever committing violence mm. or ever popping his claws ever again? And the story will cheat by the end when it comes to that whole committing violence part of it. Mm. Not the not the popping claws, but it will cheat yep. there and pretend like the two things aren't conflated with one another. And then we have Logan is doing this to save his family. Mm. So that that's his goal. That's the success state for him is saving his family. Mm. And then we also just have this relation between him and Hawkeye as as well. We also have the, and I feel like this is probably coming into the aspect of Mark Miller being a bit of a socialist. We have the naming of all of the main villains of this as being landlords mm. instead of instead of leaders, instead of kings, instead of emperors, or something that would probably be a bit more fitting for these leaders who are the the heads of the legion uh, of the um, of the. Uh, of the kingdoms almost, these big swaths of America, they're not kings, they're not any of that, they're landlords, which I feel is probably just a little tiny little thing of Mark Miller throwing in there, landlords bad. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of Mark Miller's awful writing style, the moment that Logan says goodbye to his family, Hawkeye starts ridiculing him for his sentimentality, and I... It's one of those small moments where I just hate the deep cynicism that everything is treated with here, because... Even in this, it undercuts how thick the relationship is that will then be revoked later on. Because I, I, I disagree. I, okay. I've got the panel up in front of me, and it, all, the only comment is made is, uh, oh, please, if Sabretooth could see you now, which is after he has said, I love you to his daughter and given her a yeah. hug and they've gone off. It doesn't come across as cynical or nihilistic to me. It comes off as a little bit of the kind of, the kind of jab that an, an old friend would throw at you knowing how you maybe were when you were a teenager or in your 20s, being like, oh, because because Hawkeye knows Wolverine. He knows that he used to be a stoic badass who mm. would kill people without a moment's notice, and now he's seeing him in this. And Sabretooth is one of Wolverine's oldest yep. enemies as well. So it seems more just like a, a, a friendly dig I get than, it does, than it does just a pure nihilism. If the rest of the comic weren't so 
twisted and cynical. So I, I think there are moments of light in this comic that actually did have me going for it a, f- a few times. Okay, all right. And then the ending ruined it for me. Okay. So I, I will not condemn the entirety of this comic book. I was enjoying the ride, and um, it, it, it is. I like the setup of the story. This continental road trip they're taking across the USA from like, one side to the other. I, I like, like the, the setup, the premise, but not the execution. And. So uh, there's a lot of fluff thrown in here as well. Uh, oh, definitely. So then they get into the Spider-Mobile, again a, another random throwback from old comics. And as you've alluded to, the entire of the United States, and we'll flash the map up, has been split into territories. So you have Hulkland, which was formerly the Abominations territory. We're not told why the Hulk took over. We can only assume just because he's stronger. Which is covering the entire West Coast from Washington State to California. The Kingdom of the Kingpin, formerly the Domain of Magneto, and we're not necessarily told exactly how the new kingpin defeated magneto other than he got old but even then magneto would still be incredibly powerful so, certainly more powerful than one jack black guy yeah um he looks like michael clark duncan I remember- kingpin in the ben affleck movie who is the least impressive of the kingpins as well i remember even in the x-men films magneto is what in his 60s at that point and he's still yeah. able to take out all of a, an entire police force and most of a military just by himself yeah uh, so the kingpin controls idaho half of nevada utah arizona and some of wyoming and then there's a large neutral zone including a skull territory which seems like a fairly precarious thing to allow to exist with the other kingdoms, because they could just shapeshift and take over and destroy your kingdom from the inside anytime they wanted to. So details, details. Uh, yeah, my exactly. Friend. And that's Wyoming, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, o- Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, and Louisiana. So Mark La- Miller just went. I eh, can't be bothered with all of that. Uh, Doctor Doom's lair contains Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, some of Michigan, Mississippi, and parts of Alabama, Kentucky, and Tennessee, rather than just his island of and Latveria. What's what's that? Dwight's Toll is that bridge with the guy with the Ant Man. Oh, mask. you're right. Yeah, we'll get to that, that definitely. Uh, that, that was an enjoyable moment. That was that was interesting. Yeah, it was quite funny. I don't get why Doctor Doom would abandon his literal kingdom that he rules over in continuity just to go to the US, but Okay. Then there's another mixed zone containing Osborne City. I don't think Norman Osborne would settle for just a city, <laughs> frankly. Um, including some some of Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Idaho, and then the President's Quarter, who will Get on to who the president is later. I was interested at who the president could be and then was honestly very disappointed yeah. with the with the reveal. Again, bit of boomer truth in here. Containing the Virginias, Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and DC. So most of the states that probably would do better under that kind of control rather than the cover current Democrat Party, because they're basically indistinguishable, as we'll get on to later. So they get to San Francisco, and then suddenly the Moloids emerge from, from the underground. And the Moloids are controlled by Mole Man, and they're these little golem-looking cannibals who decide right. to devour people. Because I, I was confused as to what they once again. I'm not as familiar with Marvel universe and those kinds of details. Mole Man's not- a Fantastic Four villain. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely not familiar with the Fantastic Four or their villains. And Mole Man sounds silly. I just thought that they were. They seemed mainly to be almost unexplained. So In, within the context of this story, they say, "Where did they come from?" Oh, some say they're the planet's immune system. You reach, yeah. you reach eight billion, and this feels like another little lefty socialist thing. The, the planet hits 8 billion in population and then they act as the immune system and start just pulling down cities. It says no the moment reason. our numbers reached 8 billion people, the planet released them to thin us all out. 
So again, imbued with a kind of nihilism that human beings are fated for entropy and we kind of deserve it because we're a cancer on the planet. Yes, it's definitely the human beings are the real disease, man. Yeah, and unfortunately there's been quite a lot of comics written like this. We go so far back to the much overpraised Green Lantern Green Arrow comic, where they go to the planet Malthus to lecture us about population control. <laughs> they actually go to the planet Malthus? Oh yeah, we're going right. to flash up some of these panels. We're going to have to cover Green Lantern Green Arrow at some point to decimate Boomer Truth. I mean, to, to, to be fair, I will say, um, I've heard a good explanation that Malthus, when he was writing at the time of his life, it there was no real indication that pre-industrial revolution, let's say, yes. that production would be able to explode to such an extent that food production would be able to support a, a vastly bigger population so it was yep. relatively true at the time but he just couldn't predict that the industrial revolution was going to upend that whole idea yeah but then 200 years later when they're talking about life yes ethics, it, it does mean that it's just outdated economics now. yeah so it looks really bad when you realize that all of the predictions in paul ehrlich's population bomb were just flat out wrong but hey ho mark miller still believes in it i suppose they're then attacked by a gang of ghost riders Yes, random, they just exist. Random Hispanic gangsters who have gotten the power of Ghost Rider through no discernible mean other than looks cool, I suppose. Um, Hawkeye shoots them with a bunch of arrows because they try to pilfer the, the cargo of the buggy, which we're still not sure what that is well, yet. Once again, I'm, I'm happy to accept that something like this could just exist. It's just because the story is so hyper-compressed and it yeah. throws these things at you so quickly, I just feel like, what? Well, okay, I suppose they exist, and then they only show up for a few pages anyway. Yeah, splash page, moving on. Anyway, yeah, it just feels like they've they've thrown away quite a few of the concept that they could have expanded. And and bear in mind, we're only going through the original few issue run that was in the third volume of Wolverine. We're not going through the dedicated Old Man Logan spin-off comics, because if they have been expanded in that, we just haven't read them. But we're talking about this specific thing because it served as the inspiration for Logan specifically. They're then into Las Vegas, which has been renamed Hammer Falls after the Absorbing Man and Magneto, both murdered Thor. Oh, and here's something else as well we need to mention. Hawkeye is the one who fights off the Ghost Riders, yeah. uses his bow and arrow to kill them. We can just kind of accept that, oh, he's super-powered to a certain extent. He knows how to use his bow and arrow yes. really well, so despite the fact that he's blind, he can still use it. Okay, whatever. And Logan says well, here... Hawkeye has no superpowers, but you can kind of get that maybe he's trained to be an old sensei-type figure. He, he's trained to the extent that he might as well have yes. superpowers, you know, the kind of heightened abilities that everybody gets in superhero comics. Uh, but Logan is shocked, saying, Hawkeye, what have you done? Not at the idea of popping his claws, but at the very idea that Hawkeye has murdered people in the first place. He seems to be traumatized by the idea mm. of murder, by other, be a, being around murder, being a party to violence and murder. Yeah. Uh, which, once again, will be important when we get to where it just cheats well, we do see an image of a part of a flashback where Logan is fighting off a bunch of supervillains uh, smothered in blood, which will be recontextualized much later. So yeah, they get to Las Vegas, which has been a simulacrum of American abundance because it's kind of a mock city with the old original sign, but then loads of rundown shanty shacks. There's even a McDonald's there in the dirt roads. And there's an old man selling superhero merch, which is quite interesting. And we also Thor's hammer is just stuck in the ground and nobody can lift it because nobody is worthy, but everybody's worshipping it. Yeah, it's become a religious artifact. So it means that people still want some kind of superheroism to return to rescue them from the villains, but then it's also paralleled with the guy selling superhero merch with Heroes Reborn written on the cardboard placard. Do you remember what Heroes Reborn was from our prior conversation of the 90s? 
Um, was it some kind of rebranding attempt? It was the Rob Liefeldification of Marvel that when he came it. back and yep. did Captain America and they handed off Fantastic Four to Jim Lee and Iron Man to someone else and it just didn't sell. It was bad. It didn't look good whatsoever. So, fair enough. Mark Miller mocks the right thing for once. Uh, they then stopped by a friendly Ultron 8 unit who is like robot Ned Flanders. He's kind of dre- he's dressed in um, a button-up shirt and shorts. Oh, sorry, slacks. It's yeah. quite fun. It's quite funny actually. I didn't mind this idea. He's he's a he's a bit of a kept husband. I did mind the fact that who he's married to means that Hawkeye has slept around with a bunch of people, including Peter Parker's youngest daughter, who is a really short, fat black woman. Meaning that at some point Peter Parker was separate from Mary Jane or was unfaithful. We just, or maybe she died. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Separated. Yeah. So, but we, who, who we kind of didn't need that. You could have just had an it, actual daughter of Peter and Mary Jane if you respected the continuity. It, it was the very characters. strange. But then again, later on in the interview at the back of this volume, we get Mark Miller himself specifically saying that when he was writing the Ultimates and Ultimate X Men yeah. and other such things, that he specifically said he wanted the new line to be more ethnically diverse, which is why he made Nick Fury black. It wasn't just because he really liked Samuel L. Jackson. Um, that wasn't the idea that came first. It was the artist he was working with, I think Brian Hitch, who decided, well, if we're going to make him a cool black guy, why don't we make him look like Samuel L. Jackson? It wasn't that was the idea first. His first idea was, well, of course we need to make the new line more diverse because yeah. he is a leftist. Yeah, it's an intersectional premise baked into it despite respect for continuity. And so one of the core side plots that gets introduced is Hawkeye's da- daughter? Yeah. Yeah, Hawkeye's daughter, Peter Parker's granddaughter, a brand new black spider woman has been imprisoned by the Kingpin, and so Hawkeye takes Logan on a detour to go and release her. <laughs> yes, I- because in this hyper-compressed hyper narrative, what we needed to fill issues was a side plot that goes nowhere. Especially considering the respect that Mark Miller has showed for Spider-Man continuity in the past, which... Marvel likes to bring up in the back of this with a little essay and say it's yeah. no longer in continuity. For, for those who don't know, Mark Miller has written a Spider-Man story that wasn't meant to be a Spider-Man story. It's a story called Trouble. It wasn't called Spider-Man Trouble. All of the covers have strange, questionable aged French photography in it. And what happens is they decided to try and diversify into young girls romance comics, kind of like the Jackie magazines of the 70s and 80s. And they set up a story about how um, two brothers and two sisters went to a summer camp and two of the brothers were competing for the sisters and they ended up going with the different girls and, and swapping over. And one of them gets pregnant as a teenager and sells herself into prostitution. And she comes back and she goes to the brother that didn't father her kid and ends up passing off the child to her sister who adopts it. Um, Spoiler alert, this is a retcon of Spider-Man's origin story of where Aunt May is... I didn't realise it went that far. Carry on. Yeah, Aunt May is actually Peter Parker's mum, and she gave over baby Peter to her sister, which is Richard and Mary, and when they died, Peter got adopted back to his biological mother, but Uncle Ben is not Peter's biological father. Okay, on on the face of it, that is so ridiculous and disrespectful, and yet again, this is just a recurring theme throughout Mark Miller's work, needlessly edgy for the sake of it. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.